Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Wall of Power of Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. I have a great guest on the phone tonight from Los Angeles, author, drummer, and cool cat, Pat Thomas. He has a great new book out called Did It, Jerry Rubin, an American Revolutionary. It's on the Fantagraphics Books label and available in finer record stores everywhere. The Overstuffed Coffee Table book is not only the first biography of the infamous and ubiquitous Jerry Rubin, co-founder of the Yippies, anti-Vietnam War activist, Chicago 8 defendant, social networking pioneer, and a proponent of the Yuppie era. But it's a visual retrospective with countless candid photos, personal diaries, and lost newspaper clippings. It includes correspondence with Abby Hoffman, Norman Mailer, John Lennon, Yoko Ono, Eldridge Cleaver, the Weathermen, and interviews with more than 75 of Rubin's friends, foes, and comrades. It reveals Rubin's and the Yippies' historical and bizarre personal interactions with the like of Allen Ginsberg, Bob Dylan, Charles Manson, Mick Jagger, and other iconic figures of the era. And now, all the way from L.A., Pat Thomas. Pat, you wrote a hell of a book. Well, well, thank you. Uh, it took me five years. Uh, basically, for your listeners who can't obviously see the book, it weighs five pounds. Uh, it's It's bigger than an album cover. There is about 150,000 words of text, interviews, and, it's, and about 400 incredible images of photographs of Phil Oaks, Ginsburg, Rubin, Abby Hoffman, etc., as well as, uh, as we mentioned, letters from <coughs> Eldridge Cleaver, Yoko Ono, Weather Underground, etc. So it's, it's the world's biggest yippie scrapbook. <laughs> so what was, the, uh, what was the genesis for writing the book, Pat? I uh, decided to go back to college uh, in my late 40s, and uh, one of the professors pulled me aside. And he said, you know, you're, you're older and smarter than, you know, the 20-year-old sitting in this, sitting in this uh, classroom. And, uh, and, better, like, and better looking. I'd... And better looking, right. <laughs> he said, uh, what, you know, would you like to do something where you could take a semester off and work from home? Oh, nice. And, and I, you know, I had been thinking about that there's already six different books out there about Abby Hoffman that have all, you know, come out over the last 30 plus years, but nobody had ever done anything about Jerry. And so I, this project really started as a, uh, you know, a school project, if you will. And so I took a semester off. This is about six years ago, wrote about 30,000 words and thought it might come out maybe as a simple $10 paperback, uh, uh, as you know, Paul, I, I wrote a book in 2012 called "Listen, Whitey: The Sounds of Black Power." That Great was also, book, a, by the way, yeah, kind of a merger of the Black Panthers and music. And anyway, that had, had sold reasonably well. And so my publisher said to me, "I don't want a $10 Jerry Rubin paperback. I want a giant Jerry Rubin coffee table book." Wow, incredible! <laughs> so, long story short, I met Jerry's uh, Jerry. Uh, died in the 90s i met jerry's widow and she literally invited me to move into her home for six weeks and so i moved in and she had like you know ten thousand items you know just in boxes uh and i went through all this stuff and i had a young kid with a scanner and we scanned like five thousand things and then she took out her rolodex and she said hey let me call paul krasner for you let me call <laughs> rennie davis wow you know and it was incredible. You know, let me call Bobby Seal. Wow. And uh, and she introduced me to, you know, some of these guys I already knew. Some of them I didn't. And uh, it was a, quite a ride, you know. Where did you, uh, where were you going to college at that time, Pat? I, w I went to Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington. I've played there. Yeah, well, Evergreen is, you know, much like Madison, Wisconsin, or Berkeley, or Lawrence, Kansas, you know, or Ithaca. You know, it's this hotbed of you know, counterculture. And so the uh, Evergreen runs their undergrad program, sort of like a master's program, which was why I was able to do what I did. You know what I mean? In other words, most, right. most state schools, you couldn't take a semester off to do your own thing, but at Evergreen, you could, you know? Well, the other um, 
it's a lovely campus. I've actually played there twice. But uh, I believe Nirvana played one of their first gigs at Evergreen College. And another famous alumni besides you, Pat Thomas, is my, uh, Michael Richards, uh, the Kramer character on Seinfeld. And, and uh, uh, what's his name who created Simpsons? Matt. Uh, Henning. Uh, is Grenning. it Henning? What's yeah. Yeah. yeah, Matt yeah. Grenning. Yeah, my granny great. So yeah, so there's there's some illustrious alumni there, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, so where did uh, where did Jerry's uh, widow live? Well, Jerry was living in L.A. in 1994 when he got uh, hit. He was cross. He was jaywalking. He got hit by a car. So uh, well, of course, so I, of course, he was jaywalking. I mean, I don't mean yeah. to downplay the tragedy, but of course, he was jaywalking. He was jaywalking. <laughs> anyway, I I never thought that I would live in L.A. You know, I, I I spent the last twenty five years in uh, the Bay Area, and then of course Seattle, and so I I pretty much moved to L.A. just to do this book, and uh, and I wound up staying here. So you know, hmm. there, there you have it. What um, with that, you know, five thousand items. Uh, that you were scanning and, and such a broad uh, story with so many uh, important historical figures. Where did you decide to just, this is where we're going to start the story, and how does the book begin? Well, the book um, the book actually kicks off with, you know, this, this, is, this is a great story. I love telling the story. Uh, I went to New York to interview, you know, some people. And I was sitting in a cafe with a guy named Ratso Sloman. Sure. Who, if you're a Dylan fan, you know he did the you know the Rolling Thunder uh, Diary, mm-hmm. right, or whatever he called it. Yeah. And so I'm sitting with Ratso, and he says to me, "You know, Jerry Rubin lived right across the street in the early '70s." Hmm. And he goes, "And I know the guy who took over the apartment from Jerry. Wow. And he still has some of Jerry's mail. Let's go over there." <laughs> Well, I'll take what you have gathered from coincidence, like Bob Dylan said, and it's all over now, baby blue, right? Yeah. So, so keep in mind that this is like say 2013, and Jerry moved out in 1972. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I go over there, and this guy has a letter from Norman Lear, producer and director of All in the Family, to Jerry. Right. And basically, what the letter said, Jerry. See, this is why I love Jerry. You know, he 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 never missed an opportunity. Right. When All in the Family started, it actually was not that popular. It took a few seasons to get off the ground. So during the first season, Jerry's watching Archie Bunker and the Meathead argue politics. So Jerry writes to Norman Lear and suggests that he do a walk-on cameo as <laughs> Jerry Rubin. Now, needless to say, that didn't happen, but Norman was flattered by the idea, a suggestion, and wrote back and said, I love your idea. You know, I'll call you if and when I ever do this. So the book starts off with Norman Lear's letter reproduced, you know, full size in the book. Uh, And then, of course, like most books, it it clicks into, you know, Jerry's parents were, you know, like Russian immigrant Jews. Uh, Jerry grew up in Cincinnati. His his dad was working class, uh, drove a bakery truck. His mom was like a stay-at-home housewife. And and one of the reasons I'm pointing that out is... You know, a lot of protesters in the 60s were middle class or upper class, rich, white kids, college kids. Jerry was not that. Jerry, Jerry's parents died when he was about 20. They left behind maybe five or ten grand. So Jerry did not. Jerry was not protesting Chicago on a trust fund. I just want to point right. that out. <laughs> well, this is uh, such a – it was uh, not only – uh, a great read, Pat, but uh, the photos are phenomenal. All of the, you know, the Xer- I was just, uh, before I came to the studio tonight, I was uh, reading the Xerox letter that Jerry Rubin uh, wrote to John Lennon. We're going to talk about that, that relationship, uh, and so much more here on the Wall and Power Radio Hour. We have author and uh, drummer and cool cat Pat Thomas on the line from... Los Angeles talking about his great new book called Did It? Jerry Rubin, an American Revolutionary. We're going to have some music interspersed throughout the show, uh, and we're going to end this segment with uh, the great folk singer Phil Oaks, who is also figures prominently uh, in the book, uh, part of Jerry Rubin's history. With his tune, I Ain't Marching Anymore. 
And then back, more with Pat Thomas on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. different fights. I was there at the little big horn. I heard many men lying. I saw many more dying. But I ain't marching anymore. It's always the old to lead us to the wars. Always the young to fall. Now look at all we want with a saber and the gun. Number one source of the Twin Cities Gay Scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ Media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. I'm Richard R.J. Eskow, and this week on The Zero Hour, we'll be discussing political corruption, Wall Street shenanigans, our corporate overlords, digital dystopia, and maybe throw in a surprise or two as well. All this and more on The Zero Hour every Sunday night from 9 until midnight on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. As with their Eat Street sister on Nicollet Avenue, the Bad Waitress at 700 Central and Northeast is committed to working with local purveyors and serving organic food whenever possible. But the Northeast location is a bit more grown up. This finer diner has a full bar serving craft cocktails and a brand new inventive dinner menu, including the chicken and waffle, with roasted half chicken, bourbon pickled jalapeno corn waffle, and a roasted poblano gravy. Check out the Northeast menu at thebadwaitress.com. Crazy about pets? We are too. The Pet Connection Show is a great venue for fun, informative, and creative conversations about pets. Join myself, Kathy Menard, and Dr. Nicole Parole, along with guests who are leaders in the dynamic and growing pet industry, as we discuss healthcare, relationships, behaviors, and even political issues as they relate to our pets. So come, sit, stay for the Pet Connection Show, Sundays 11 a.m. to noon on AM 950 Radio, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Tap, taste, and treasure at Vinaigrette, where we have some warm seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals. Our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted Brussels sprouts or baked brie. And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra virgin olive oil on top. Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. Tom Hartman here for All Energy Solar. One of the myths about solar is that you save more if you wait, but waiting to switch can actually cost you more. While tax rebates make solar affordable, those rebates are often limited and decrease over time. So when you wait, you risk losing some of the incentives that make solar so easy to afford today. And besides, the sooner you get your All Energy Solar system, the sooner you reduce or even eliminate that high electricity bill. Make the switch today at allenergysolar.com.
All the Power Radio Hour. We just heard a little bit of music, a song called CBGBs by a f- mutual friend of my guest, Pat Thomas, and mine, a lovely lady named Sid Straw. The reason why I played that, Pat, although we're talking about your uh, great book, Did It, Jerry Rubin, American Re- Revolutionary, but uh, you've been a longtime drummer, and you recently performed in Los Angeles with Sid Straw and some other luminaries. Yeah, I have a, a, a floating collective uh, called Mushroom, you know, where I'm, I'm the drum uh, drummer and band leader. And uh, being in L.A., you know, there's an incredible cross-section of people i gotten to be in the band. Uh, DJ Bonebreak of X has been playing vi- vibraphone. David Immergluck from the Counting Crows is on guitar. Uh, Victor Krumenacher of Camper Van Beethoven on bass. And... I, uh, you know, Sid was in town for a few months. And I, you know, Sid to me is the missing link between Janice Joplin and Phyllis Diller. <laughs> <laughs> With her trusty manager, dog, uh, Carol Burnett, by her side all the time. Exactly. So, so Sid got on stage with us, and it's basically kind of a, a jazz, rock, psychedelic, freeform thing. And I think she sang some Ramon song over the top of our, like, soft machine, Miles Davis-like grooves, you know? <laughs> so, anyway, that's, uh, that's Sid for you. Well, and you also had a, a fellow that um, uh, I knew a little bit in the 70s. Uh, he came out of Minneapolis, John Cruth. That's right. John Cruth lives in New York but spends half the year in L.A., and John Cruz, you know, for the listeners, he's played with the Violent Femmes, he's played with Camper Van Beethoven, he's played with a lot of people, Hal Wilner, and Cruz plays sitar, flute, mandolin, harmonica, uh, wonderful cat. And he's yeah. also written a few books himself. He has. He's written great books about Towns Van Zandt, Roland Kirk, the Beatles. Uh, yeah, we're, we're kind of kindred uh, beatnik spirits, for sure. <laughs> so... The uh, the book did it, Jerry Rubin, an American revolutionary. Let's talk about how did Jerry get involved uh, with social movements and protest. Well, Jerry grew up in Cincinnati, uh, and in, in around '64, he started hearing about the Berkeley Free Speech movement that was happening at UC Berkeley with Mario Savo. So Jerry drove to Berkeley, caught the tail end of the Berkeley Free Speech movement, and then Jerry. When you see those documentaries of uh, the troop trains, you know, bringing young soldiers through uh, through California to the port of Oakland, where they would then get on a ship to go to Vietnam, Jerry was one of those guys who would lay down on the tracks wow. trying to prevent the trains from going down. So he started, he co-founded something called the VDC, Vietnam Day Committee, and, you know, basically led these protests. And Jerry's first big act that became national news is he was subpoenaed by HUAC, the House on american Activities Committee. Uh, you know, it used to be run by commie hater jo- Joseph McCarthy. So Jerry showed up in Washington, D.C. And, and his right-hand man, Roy Cohn, an advisor to President Donald Trump in Donald's early years. Right, right. So anyway, Jerry shows up at the Capitol building in 1966 wearing an American Revolutionary War outfit handing out the Declaration of Independence. And although he was subpoenaed to appear, he's immediately arrested for wearing, you know, looking like Paul Revere or George Washington. Right. And and so that became national news in 66, and it caught the eye of Abby Hoffman, who had not done anything like that yet. Uh, and so when Jerry arrived in New York in 67, Abby Hoffman said, I got to meet this guy. And where was, and so, Ab- where was Abby from, Pat? Well, Abby grew up around Boston, okay. uh, but he had been living in New York. Uh, anyway, their next major act that the two of them did together is incredibly infamous. They decided to throw uh, $500 worth of $1 bills onto the New York Stock Exchange trading floor. Well, which would, which be, like, ca- which would be like three grand today. Exactly. And it caused, you know, like the couple of hundred traders on the floor it literally shut down the stock exchange because they didn't they didn't know how much money it was so they started grabbing the money <laughs> and stopped and stopped their uh, you know their trading and so after that uh, they put up like bulletproof glass or something all around that so you could never pull off that stunt again well wow. uh, and then their next major thing that, that Jerry and Abby do is they decide to lead a march on the Pentagon in October of 67 with uh, 
you know, Ed Sanders and the Fugs, and they circle the Pentagon with about 5,000 or 10,000 hippies, and they're chanting out demons out with the idea that they would levitate the Pentagon. Right, right. Uh, so, you know, these types of acts, you know, some people laughed at these guys for this, but the truth of it was is their sort of sex, drugs, and rock and roll humor politicized a lot of young people that would not be attracted by, let's say, the SDS's more traditional sort of political science rhetoric. Mm -hmm. you know? And so and so Jerry really, uh, in fact, even Rennie Davis, who was one of the co-leaders of the SDS, said, you know, in, in hindsight, Jerry politicized probably more young people than we did because people liked that. The kids loved that humor. They loved the pranks. Right. Plus, they were all, uh, you know, all the men uh, <clears throat> uh, were all the young men were under the threat of being shipped to Vietnam. That, well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and Jerry, you know, uh, you know, Allen Ginsberg became part of this movement. Uh, even Norman Mailer did, obviously, hmm. Phil, Phil Oaks. And then, you know, a little bit later, even John and Yoko got into the mix. Yeah, what uh, what an, an, an incredible time. I mean, I was just, I was born in 55, but so I was, you know, 10, 11, 12 when I was getting hip to this. But you'd start to see it, you know, on the evening news and uh, read about it in the newspapers. And it was such, I don't even want to see a slap in the face to conservative America because I don't think they even knew how to combat this sort of, Re these revolutionary tactics. Well, ex ex exactly. And also, you know, and you, and you lived through this a little, uh, you know, you were a little older than me. You know, this was an era when on a college dorm room uh, wall, there'd be a poster of Angela Davis and Mick Jagger. Right. You know, this is an era when politics and music go hand in hand. And it was, it was Jerry who kind of inspired for better or for worse, John and Yoko to do the Sometime in New York City album. Uh -huh. You know, he told them about John Sinclair, and, you know, he, they spoke about Angela Davis and Attica State, and, and he, you know, I mean, personally, I love Lenin's political rants. Not everybody did, but, uh, you know, love him or hate him, Jerry was directly responsible for, you know, Reuben, I mean, uh, Jerry was responsible for Lenin becoming more militant in those early 70s years. We're going to talk more about the musical connections uh, that in the circles that uh, Jerry Rubin uh, ran around in. All night tonight on the Wall of Power Radio Hour, uh, my guest, Pat Thomas, the author of Did It? Jerry Rubin, an American Revolutionary, will be back after these messages. Hi, this is Charlie. My dad is Minnesota's wildly popular and handsome radio host, Matt McNeil. Did I say that right, Dad? Perfect! When I got my driver's license, my parents let me drive a Sienna from Rudy Luther Toyota. I love it. It's easy, comfortable, and hauls all my baseball gear. And my parents love the safety. That's why they wanted me in the Sienna. Thanks to Rudy Luther Toyota, my son is safe as he begins his driving adventure. We're a two-Sienna family thanks to Rudy Luther Toyota. Visit them today in Golden Valley at 169 and 394. Saturdays at 1 p.m., you have a chance at a fresh start, a new beginning. Hi, everybody. This is Freddie Bell, host of New Beginnings. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, spirituality, and even entertainment. Every day is a chance for a fresh start. Join us Saturdays at 1 p.m. for New Beginnings with Freddie Bell on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. At Burger Moe's, Mondays no longer need to be a drag. Dine on the beautiful patio for Burger Monday Madness every Monday after 4 p.m., where you can order any burger and fries off menu for just $6. Not valid on Excel event evenings. Burger Moe's offers 20 fresh, never-frozen burger varieties, as well as delicious appetizers, soups, salads, and unburgers, dogs, paninis, shakes, and desserts. Located at 242 West 7th Street in St. Paul, with plenty of free parking, and online at BurgerMoe's.com. I'm Steve Conklin. And I'm Jake DeRoff. We're the hosts of the Mortgage Talk Show, Sundays at 1230. Every week we bring you insights on home financing, discussing rates, programs, local and national news. Whether you're buying your first home or your hundredth home, we have tips and inside information to save you money and feel like a mortgage master. Check us out for more information and email us any questions at mortgagetalkshow.com. Tune in to the Mortgage Talk Show every Sunday at 1230 on AM 950. 
This summer, you have lots of choices when it comes to your carpet and air duct cleaning, so make it a smart one with Zero Res. Only Zero Res cleans with patent-empowered water, so you know you get healthy, clean carpet that's safe for your family. It's like remodeling, but without the price tag. So schedule your carpet cleaning today and get the Zero Res Summer 3-Room Special. And this month, save $50 when you get your air duct Zero Res clean. Call 952-ZERO-RES or visit ZeroResMN.com. Zero Res, spell it backwards or forwards, it spells the same. Hi, I'm Scott Peterson with the Minnesota News Network, inviting you to join us for Minnesota Matters, a weekly program covering everything that matters in the North Star State. This week, local reaction to this week's controversial Supreme Court rulings, elder care for an aging Minnesota population, 4th of July safety, and much, much more. Tune us in right here or at minnesotanewsnetwork.com. Listen to Minnesota Matters every weekend, Saturday mornings at 5.30 and Sunday mornings at 6.30 on AM 950. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Hunter Hawes. Tonight, clear with a low around 67. Sunday, sunny with a high near 89. And Monday, mostly sunny with a high near 87. EatLocalMinnesota.com is your way to find unique local restaurants offering one-of-a-kind food and atmosphere. Your choice is setting from casual to trendy. Great spots for date nights, evenings with friends, or business occasions. Make sure the money you spend stays local. Find out more at EatLocalMinnesota.com. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. We hope you've been enjoying this 4th of July weekend. We have a real American on the phone tonight, author and musician and cool cat, Pat Thomas, with his talking about his great book, Did It? Jerry Rubin, an American Revolutionary. Pat, it is almost to the day, the 50th anniversary uh, of the riots in Chicago at the Democratic National Convention in 1968. The timing on this book is perfect. Yeah, you know, we were uh, we were talking uh, a few minutes ago about the synergy between music and politics, right, in the right. 60s. And one of the things that I realized when I was researching my book, that on the first day of the Chicago riots, this is total coincidence, the Beatles released Revolution as a single. Wow. And on the last day of the Chicago riots, again, total coincidence, the Stones release Street Fighting Man. <laughs> now, obviously, neither the Stones nor the Beatles knew, you know, when they recorded those songs that this event was going to happen. But I just I just find the coincidence of that just to be mind boggling. Now, for for listeners who are not sure what we're talking about, you know, Bobby Kennedy, unfortunately, is assassinated in early June in California. Uh, so at the Chicago Democratic Convention in August of 68, you know, Hubert Humphrey, uh, who was vice president then, is is trying to become president. And uh, the Democratic Party is divided against trying to shut down the Vietnam War. Mostly they don't want to do that. And so Jerry Rubin, Abby Hoffman and the Yippies, Tom Hayden, Rennie Davis and the SDS, literally, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 college kids show up in Chicago to protest the Vietnam War and Chicago Mayor Daly sends the police out with nightclubs, you know, with the clubs and they literally are beating these kids. Right. And and it's on the national news and the kids start shouting the whole world is watching and Walter Cronkite on CBS News says, "Oh my god, look what look look what these guys are doing." I mean, it was just it was a it was a bloodbath. Uh, and this event leads later to a year later to the Chicago Eight trial. Uh, another weird kismet of rock and roll is the Stones' infamous "Gimme Shelter" tour. They play in the exact same amphitheater where Hubert Humphrey and the Chicago Democratic Convention took place a year earlier. Well, and of course, and also at that time, uh, because Minnesota, of course, is you know we we are proud of all of our politicians and Supreme Court justices, but there was a big rift in the Democratic Party in 1968 between those that were backing Hubert Humphrey and those that wanted the more progressive candidate. Um, I mean, Eugene McCarthy. Yeah, Eugene McCarthy. That's well, that, that's right. They were the college kids. It was called Let's Go Clean for Gene. Uh, you know, and, and Humphrey was a little bit without getting too deep into this. You know, Humphrey was, you know, basically a, a, pr- a progressive guy. But he was under the thumb of LBJ, who was, you know, still the president. And it was it was just a very weird time. 
but, you know, Jerry and Abby, like I said, the, the Chicago 8 trial, you know, that's when these guys sort of become, I call them rock stars. Right. Because, because along with, you know, dare I say it, the Charles Manson trial a, uh, a year later, uh, you know, decades later, the OJ trial. I mean, this is one of those trials that everybody's talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and the difference is, is that really what this trial was, it was a political trial. It was actually a cultural trial. It was it was sort of like Nixon was now president, J. Edgar Hoover at the FBI. They're basically putting young people on trial just for having long hair right. and, and hating the war. And it was really a a, a polarizing time you know you talk about the generation cap you know parents you know arguing with their kids at the dinner table about the vietnam war you know what uh interesting little uh left turn here but uh, donald trump recently spoke in duluth minnesota and there was a uh protest that was holding up a um a picture and they escorted him out uh and trump said as he was going out is that a man or a woman and then he said if that's a man he says Cut your hair. Wow. I haven't heard that phrase. Mm-hmm. I haven't. <laughs> exactly. 40 years. Yeah, yeah. When you were sitting across from your dad at 13 years old at the dinner table, right? Exactly. I know, exactly. but just, you know, I just thought that that jumped out at me when I was uh, uh, listening to the speech, which I just want to stick large yeah. knitting needles into my eyes during the whole thing. But anyway, we're getting up. Uh, uh, we're getting a little stray here um, from uh, from. Yeah, I want I want to move on to that. You know, John and Yoko uh, moved can, to New York City in seventy one. Can we can we hold oh, on for sorry. one second? I want to sure. talk a little bit more about the Chicago Eight trial because uh, this actually there was Pegasus involved, the pig uh, mm-hmm. that uh, I think they ran for president in 68. But there was another character who you've gotten to know who I've been a big fan of mine for years, one of the founding fathers of the Yippies, Paul Krasner. Oh, okay. Well, Paul Krasner uh, in, it was, you know, a little older than these guys. And so in the late 50s, I believe, he starts publishing a political satire magazine called The Realist. And for those who've never read The Realist, Think, think about, let's say, something like Mad Magazine, except it's all uh, political, right. cartoons and, and all kinds of weird satire. Uh, I mean, Krasner was so outrageous that when Bobby, uh, I'm sorry, when JFK was assassinated in Dallas, Krasner. I know. I don't know if we should tell that story. Okay, 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 okay. Well, we won't tell that story. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was yeah. it was incredibly. Uh, yeah, let's just let's just say that Krasner was insinuating that that LBJ and, and JFK had sex. We'll just leave. Yeah, it right. So, we'll but, yeah, um, but then also, uh, Krasner was also uh, for a while a roommate of Lenny Bruce's. Yeah, Krasner was friends with Lenny Bruce. Uh, Krasner later. Uh, came up with the theory, if, if you're familiar with San Francisco politics, you remember Mayor George Moscone and the great gay rights leader Harvey Milk sure. being assassinated by this guy named Dan White. At Dan White's trial... Too many Twinkies. Too many Twinkies, right. Well, well Krasner came up with the phrase, Twinkie defense. Right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, Krasner's become a friend of mine. He's a- a- alive and fairly well, living in Palm Desert uh, in California. Uh, well into his 80s, and uh, really an incredible guy. I'd love to uh, bring him out here to chat with him uh, on my birthday, November 1st. I've been I've been wanting to do that for years. I bumped into Paul a couple times over the years, and and I think he's one of the most brilliant minds of our time. Uh, yeah, we can we'll, we can talk about that after. Uh, after Great. So okay, let's go now. Let's go to uh, you wanted to hop 72 with John and Yoko. Yeah, so, so John and Yoko arrive in New York in 71, and the first thing they do is search out Jerry Rubin. They had seen Jerry on the David Frost show in London in 70, and Jerry decided to shut the David Frost, David Frost show was broadcast live, and Jerry shut it down when he started smoking a joint and asked David Frost if he wanted a, a toke. <laughs> and so John and Yoko loved that sort of political <laughs> guerrilla theater. And they became fast friends. And, 
I, I think I, I'm losing track here if we talked about this on the air, off the air. But I was saying, uh, you know, uh, it was Jerry that first told John Lennon about John Sinclair right, being right. arrested. You mentioned, yeah, you, you mentioned that early in the show. Okay, okay. But keep so, on, we'll, John. We'll, expand, no, we'll, you expand we'll, on that a little bit. Okay, so if you're a Beatles fan, probably the thing most people remember about Lennon in this era is they try to deport him. And one of the reasons they were trying to deport Lennon in the 70s is because Nixon and J. Edgar Hoover were pissed that he had lined himself with Jerry Rubin because they knew that, you know, even an ex-Beatle had an incredible sway on young people. And as they saw Lennon getting more and more political, they said, we got to get this guy out of the country. And that's when they started to try to refuse Lennon his green card. Now, one of the things I found out is I dug deeper with the idea that truth is always stranger than fiction. There was actually a group of guys in the White House led by Gordon Liddy, and they were known as Creep, Committee to Reelect the President. Perfect name. Perfect name for these creeps, right? So Liddy goes to Ehrlichman and says, I want to kidnap Jerry Rubin and Abby Hoffman and hold them in a Mexican prison until the November 72 trial. Wow. And, er and Ehrlichman says, dude, that's even too freaky for me. I'm not authorizing <laughs> that. Now, Ruben, of course, doesn't hear about this until many years later. And the thing I love about Jerry is his sense of humor. He says, I really wish they had kidnapped me because I would have become even more infamous with a free Jerry movement. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now, later, unfortunately, when, uh, when Lennon... Uh, kind of resurfaces in 1980. He makes the double fantasy record. He he really disowned his political 70s, uh, you know, what what we call it. But you know, and and that was really pissing Jerry off because he Lennon was really denouncing uh, the Yippies in 1980. And finally, they had sort of a public war, like in People or Magazine or something. And Jerry just said, "Hey, John." You were an adult man when you decided to write those political songs. You know, I didn't mm -hmm. put a gun to your head. You know, you need to own this. Uh, so, you know, for Beatles fans, there's about 30 or 40 pages of all kinds of, of stuff with A.J. Weberman, Dylan, John Sinclair. If, if you're interested in Lennon's early 70s stuff, I was able to get David Peel to talk to me before he died. There's a lot of really incredible stories about John Yoko in New York in the 70s in my book. Pat, I have to, uh, uh, because we always <clears throat> have interesting stories that you might not have heard about in the mainstream media, but on the Wall of Power Radio Hour, I had a, a long-time Twin Cities weatherman named Barry Zavan on uh, oh, a couple of years ago, and uh, Barry's in his 80s now, but he uh, was a weatherman in Washington, D.C. during the early 70s and became close friends with John Ehrlichman. When Ehrlichman got out of prison, he moved to Arizona. He and Barry remained friends. And they were in the pool one day when there was a delivery from uh, uh, Richard Nixon's people. And they were presenting uh, Ehrlichman with uh, the book that Nixon had out on that time. And rather than signed to John, it was just stamped Richard Nixon. Um, anyway... <laughs> kind of guy, kind of guy, Tricky Dick was. We've got Pat Thomas on the line, and we're going to have him on for one more segment on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Let's listen to a little bit of John Lennon playing New York City.
number one source of the Twin Cities Gay Scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ Media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. Hi, this is Laura Hedlund with Food Freedom Radio. We want a regenerative revolution. What's that? It's a food system that works for water, soil, pollinators, and people. How do we get it? Maybe by being a little more lazy. So this summer, we're looking for lazy good food recipes. We're talking about how do we create a sane, kind food system. Food Freedom Radio, Saturdays at 8 a.m. or anytime on podcast. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Unbeatable prices? Warner Stallion guarantees it on hundreds of top-rated appliances, including laundry pairs starting at $3.99 each, free installation on select Bosch and KitchenAid dishwashers, hundreds saved on French door refrigerators. We have discounts on air conditioners, and we install. You'll save even more in-store on top brands. We guarantee unbeatable prices. Warner Stallion offers qualified buyers 18 months zero-interest financing for a limited time, and only from Minnesota's original appliance specialist, Warner Stallion. Connections Radio Show is all about tapping into our hardwired hunger to connect. We examine meaningful connections to ourselves, our community, and the world around us by opening the door to innovative insights by a wide variety of interesting guests. We'll make the connections to something bigger than ourselves. Join me, Lori Fitz, your host of Connections Radio Show, and together we'll make the connections. Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces is having its annual store-wide sale. For the entire month of July, all of our indoor and outdoor fireplace products and accessories are at their lowest price of the year. At Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, we display, explain, and install the Twin Cities' most diverse selection of indoor and outdoor stoves and fireplaces, including metal and masonry pizza ovens. I love my wood stove. We enjoy the sense of well-being we get by cutting and splitting wood to warm our home. Wood is our choice, but you may have other choices at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces. Whether transforming an existing fireplace or adding something new, a clean burning wood, gas, or electric fire can have you sitting pretty and cozy by the fire. Visit Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces today and find the right fire for you. Come see us. We have over 35 working displays in our store, which is just off I-94 at the corner of Riverside and East Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, since 1977, out of the ordinary products and services to make fire work for you. Waking up is easy when you look forward to breakfast. Serve seven days a week at the Downtowner Woodfire Grill in St. Paul. Try eggs your way with hash browns, bacon, or sausage. There are four delicious varieties of eggs Benedict that should not be missed. And buttermilk pancakes, waffles, or French toast are always fresh off the griddle. How about a Bloody Mary or screwdriver from the bar? The Downtowner Woodfire Grill is located at 253 West 7th Street with plenty of free parking. Or online at downtownerwoodfire.com. Come to San Diego, whole world gonna swing. I'm gonna San Diego, let them brass bells ring. Oh, Mr. San Diego, find out what my future brings. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metz, and my guest for the whole show tonight, author Pat Thomas with his great new book, Did It, Jerry Rubin, an American Revolutionary. We just heard uh, Alan Ginsberg singing Going to San Diego. Pat, tell us a little bit about that tune. Well, you know, uh, we mentioned earlier in the show that I interviewed, you know, about 75 people, and I interviewed a lot of famous people, you know, Paul Krasner and Rennie Davis uh, Bobby Seal, Judy Gumbo, but but some of the funniest stories came from people who you know people had never really heard had heard of. So the originally the Republican uh, convention of '72 was going to be held in San Diego, and so you know the Yippies knew that they were going to be protesting as they had in '68, and so Jerry flies into L.A. and he gets he gets picked up at the airport uh, by this uh, DJ at the time named Larry Yurden. And uh, 
they go to rent a car and Jerry's name. So Jerry goes into this car rental place and the car rental guy goes, now, wait a minute. Are you, you know, are, are you that, are you that the Jerry Rubin? Right. And Jerry's like, I don't know who you're talking about. You know, you know, that, that, that political bad guy, are you that guy? Jerry's like, never heard of him. Right. <laughs> so, Just give so me the Jerry, damn car. Yeah. So, right. So Jerry and Larry, you know, rent the car and they're heading to San Diego from LA and Jerry starts laughing. He said in about a half an hour, he goes, that rental car place is going to be swarming with FBI agents asking, <laughs> why did you rent him a car and where is he going? Right, right. Uh, so uh, this, you know, I was mentioning earlier about John and Yoko coming to New York. So there's a lot of things happening in New York City in 1971. One is, is Bob Dylan moves back to New York after living in Woodstock for many years and uh, Dylan is being harassed by people like A.J. Weberman for not being political enough. So one of the things that Bob does is he writes this incredible song called George Jackson about a you know black power, black panther guy who was murdered in San Quentin prison that uh, year earlier. And when Lennon hears, John Lennon hears the song George Jackson, he's like, oh, my God. He goes, Dylan's getting political again. And people are getting very, very excited about Bob being back in Manhattan and sort of plugging into things. Meanwhile, Ginzi had always been obsessed with Dylan and always Ginzi, you know, he'd had all the success as a poet, but he, he always kind of wanted to be a little bit of a rock star. Right. He convinces Dylan to go into the studio and they do half an album together with, with, with Ginzi obviously providing lyrics and vocals and Bob writing the music and singing along. And so what we just heard was this anti-Nixon, anti-Vietnam War protest song called Going to San Diego with, with Ginsburg on vocals and Bob on guitar. And, you know, also in their orbit at this time is Ruben because basically Ruben has this idea, the voting age has just been reduced from 21 to 18. And so Ruben has John and Yoko convinced that they travel around the country playing free concerts and then getting people to register to vote. And they were really trying to uh, rope Dylan into this. Now, we anyone who knows Dylan knows Dylan would never do a political uh, tour like this. But nevertheless, in my book is uh, a great interview with Jerry Rubin's girlfriend at the time, Kathy Stream, who talks about Dylan surprisingly showing up at Rubin's apartment out of the blue. And, uh, and you know, there's a complete uh, uh, transcription of their conversation right. and that kind of stuff. So. So there's there's a lot of really incredible six degrees of separation. It turns out that Norman Mailer was a big fan of Jerry Rubin's, and there's all kinds of Norman Mailer, Jerry Rubin stories in my book. Uh, we were talking about Phil Oaks. Uh, Phil and Jerry were incredibly tight. Um, so yeah, it was it was really uh, you know magical time. Uh, and and what was uh, you know part of that? You know the Phil Oaks story has a very tragic part to it. Uh, um, he never quite got the success that he probably deserved and also in his later years uh, suffered uh, from depression and uh, being bipolar. Uh, and then coupled with uh, some snubs by Dylan not getting invited on the Rolling Thunder tour and whatever, ended up uh, hanging himself in his sister's uh, apartment Gosh. in, in yeah. Queens, which was really sad. Yeah. Uh, and so you have a lot of that. It's a very interesting book. I would want to uh, recommend everybody out there that's interested in, in the Times, uh, American protest to get Pat Thomas's book, did it Jerry Ruman an American revolutionary. Pat, we got a couple minutes left. Let's uh, segue into how Jerry Rubin ended up on wall street. Yeah, I, I want to talk about that. A lot of people think that Jerry became a Republican. He he was a liberal Democrat. People think he supported Reagan. He never supported Reagan. Basically, Jerry put on a suit and tie and he showed up at Wall Street. And the other the other myth, fake news, is that Jerry was not a stockbroker. He was not trying to get people to invest in Exxon or Shell or Bell Helicopters or anything like that. Jerry was actually marketing solar panels green energy and ecology in 1980 on wall street when nobody wanted to know about it. Huh. And, and way so ahead, Jerry, way ahead of his time, way ahead of his time. And so 
you know, the fact that Jerry put on a suit and a tie, the fact that, yes, Jerry was part of what became known as the yuppie movement, but Jerry was leading a very progressive, very liberal wing of, uh, of the whole yuppie thing. And, and Jerry actually, you know, I, my first book about the Black Panthers, I talk about this, you know, the Panthers by the early 70s are running for mayor and city council in Oakland because they realize that, you know, for better or for worse, change comes from within, right? right? And so Jerry, yeah, sure, Jerry wanted to make money. He, you know, he was in his 40s, wanted to have a nice house, a nice car. But Jerry realized that change came from within, and he was kind of leading his own little, you know, micro, micro, uh, macro revolution kind of from the inside out. And a lot of people do not know that. They think that Jerry was just on Wall Street, you know, being uh, a jerk. And uh, when I was skimming the book, worked for a firm called John Muir Investments, which I had to think has something to do with the great John Muir, who's got a great national park named after him north of San Francisco. We just have a few seconds left, Pat, here. How can people track down the book? What's your website? Give us the info. Okay. Uh, the book is, again, we've mentioned it a million times. It's called Did It? Jerry Rubin, American Revolutionary. It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble websites. Uh, it's published by Fanographics. You can get it on their website. Uh, any decent bookstore can order it. Uh, it's not that hard to find. If you if you just Google the book title, Jerry Rubin did it, uh, I'm sure there's about a half a dozen ways you can get it. Um, yeah. Well, Pat, thank you so much for your time today. Have a wonderful 4th of July weekend. Uh, you're a patriot in my eyes. And uh, always enjoy speaking with you, my friend. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by the great Brett Johnson right here at AM 950 Studios. Watch my TV show, Wall of Power TV, every Saturday night, Comcast Channel 6 at 8 and 11.30 p.m. or stream from mcn6.org. Happy Fourth of July weekend, everybody. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. Peace. Hey, sounds good. Oh, I didn't know that was on channels.